I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4. We're continuing our examination of this letter, interrupted for a few weeks. We come now to chapter 4, which really introduces the second part of this letter. So we stopped at a, at a good point. Chapter 4, verse 1, finally then, brethren... We urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. I'm going to conclude there. Lord, open our ears to your word our will, to the working of your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We come, as I said, into the second part of Paul's letter to these Christians, signaled, if you will, in your text by the word finally. Finally doesn't mean that Paul's making his last point. It really signals this, this transition. Part one, uh, he, he took an unusual amount of time <clears throat> to express his remembrances of this church and to express his thankfulness uh, for that church and to encourage them. It took him three chapters to, to get that out of him, and I sense he still had more. But we come here in chapters four and five to the second part of the letter, and it is a portion of his letter that is characterized by exhortation. And you hear that even in those opening words, we urge you, we we exhort you in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we'll continue through this part of the letter, about 20 times, Paul gives them a command. He gives them an exhortation, something for them to take heed to, something for them to do. But at the the heart of it, and and really at the heart of of what this second part of the letter is all about, and, and all the abundance of the exhortations and the commands and the urging, at the heart of it is Paul's call to these Christians to be holy. Holiness is what undergirds these exhortations. Holiness is what undergirds these commands. You see, holiness is God's will for his church. Holiness is God's will for his church. Verse 3, we read just the first phrase there. It, it, it's going it's to carry us on into, into some more specifics. But he says, this is the will of God, your, your sanctification. Sanctification has to do with holiness. That This statement actually is an explanation of what he just said in verse 2. You know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. He, he had taught those commandments to them when he was with them. You, you know the things that we said. You know the things that we commanded of you and exhorted you. This, that is, those very commands, this is the will of God, your holiness, This connects actually back to verse 1, which is how you ought to walk to please God. How ought you to walk to please God? Thessalonian Christians, Northfield Christians, obey his commands. The the, the work of sanctification, this is what God has for you. Commands and sanctification and holiness are all about this pleasing walk to God, which is all about, in this context, our conduct, our behavior, our behavior. 
We know this is a, a focus because it's interesting. This whole section is, is bracketed all the way over to chapter 5 and, and verse 23 where he says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. <laughs> so he begins it by, by calling them to sanctification and he ends it with a prayer, God sanctify them completely. The focus here is on holiness. It is God's will. It is the essence of his commands. It is to characterize the people of God. This is how we are to walk, to please God. You see, as he's writing to these Christians there in that city so long ago, these are new Christians. These are, these are Christians who have, come out of, uh, who have come out of various backgrounds. Some had come out of, a, if you will, a, a, a Jewish background. So, so they had some of the, of the Old Testament, some of the knowledge of this God. But many of them, in fact, probably most of them, came out of what we would describe as a pagan background. In fact, in chapter 1, Paul speaks of them who had come out of idolatry. They had come out of a life of worshiping false gods of all kinds and all the life and the worldview that went with that. But they've come to faith in Christ. And, and Paul now calls them to holiness. He is saying to these young Christians, here is what is going to set you apart from this pagan city in which you live. This is what's going to set you apart and make you different from the life you used to live. It's going to be a life of holiness. A life of, of holiness. Now let's make it clear that, that none of us are saved by our own holiness. The holiness that we need for salvation is a gift that is given to us from God. However, we are saved unto holiness. This is what sets us apart. This is what marks us out. I think sometimes the concept of holiness, it's, it's there, but it's, it's not necessarily the most popular kind of an idea when it comes to thinking of our life of following after Christ. Being real, yeah, we'll talk about being real. We're, 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 more, we're, we're more ready to talk about being real than we are to talk about being holy. Now, both need to happen. Holiness. It, it's not as probably, in, in, in some years, this idea of, of a holy life maybe sounds a little old-fashioned, like your, your great-grandma's religion. Uh, in some years, the, this call to holiness may sound legalistic. It may sound judgmental. A life of holiness to some seems to have a, a, a negative connotation, you know, because, because we're talking about a, a life that is separated. So it sounds like a life that's all about do's and don'ts. Well, let's be very clear that holiness certainly is about commands. Paul talks about that uh, here in, this, in, in these verses. It is about commands, so it is about obeying those commands. However, as we think of the whole concept of holiness as it relates to our lives, I think God's word calls us to think about this not in, not in, in, a, in a negative term, but in a positive way. You see, true holiness of life, the essence of it is not to be found in denial of things. It's not to be found in the performance of a duty, but actually what you find in Scripture, that the life of holiness is the outworking of delight in God. A holy life is a life that is expressing in very practical, visible ways delight in God and delight in the things of God. It's, it, a holy life isn't just about don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, and don't do that. <laughs> it is about delighting in God. It is about delighting in his word. 
The psalmist says in Psalm 1611, in, in your presence, he's talking about the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord is, is a place of holiness. It's a presence of holiness. In your presence there is, he says, fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In other words, in the presence of holiness, God tells us, in the presence of holiness, you will find joy, you will find pleasure, you will find delight. In Psalm 40 and verse 8, just reading this this morning, the psalmist said, I delight to do your will, my God. Your instruction lives within me. Here's the word of God. And yes, the word of God reveals to us the person of God, but the word of God reveals to us the will of God. The word of God has commands in it. The word of God has demands in it. And God says, this is what I expect of you. This This is how I want you to walk. This is what I want you to do. And the scripture said, I delight in that. I delight in that. Holiness. If holiness is nothing more to you than duty, then something's amiss. A life of holiness is a life of delight. And a church, this church in Thessalonica, a church now, a church for the darkest hour, must be a church that is holy and a church that delights in holiness, a church that realizes that in the presence of God, in the will of God, in in living out the life that he has called us to live, it is there that we find the fullest of joy and the greatest delights. So, holiness is God's will for his church. He's going to unfold that some more in the chapters to come because it gets very practical, very practical. But just in in, in the remaining time, in these opening verses, I want us to to notice this as he begins this section, this section on exhortation, that that growing is God's will for his church. Growing. Growing is God's will for his church. He says, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. More and more. Well, abound more and more in what? Well, what he just said, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk to please God in verse 1, which is described in verse 2 as these these commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ, which according to verse 3 is God's will, their sanctification or holiness. Abound in this more and more and more. You see, their walk, he's talking here of their, of their walk or their manner of life, it was to please God. And it was to, be, it was to be a life that was increasingly pleasing to the Lord. The idea in that phrase is the idea of, of making progress, of growth, of advancement, of improvement. The very opposite of moving backward. The very opposite of being stuck and moving nowhere. A church that is going to face the darkest hour must be a church that is growing Growing in our lives, growing and, and, if you will, abounding more and more. Now, it's certainly true, we mentioned that, that holiness, this matter of holiness, is a position that is ours through Jesus Christ. When we trust, when we trust Christ as Savior, you heard the testimonies this morning, and sin is forgiven because of what Christ did on the cross, and righteousness is given to us the very righteousness of Christ himself, the righteousness that saves. We are given that holiness. We do nothing to earn it. 
We do nothing to deserve it. It is a holiness that is given to us. So when you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, you are brought into a position of absolute holiness in the presence of God. But holiness in the Scriptures is also talked about in terms of of something that is happening within us. There is a position of holiness we receive through faith in Jesus Christ. There is the practice of holiness which happens as the Spirit of God begins to rule and reign and, and if you will, reform and reshape our lives. And, And it is that dimension of holiness that can improve. We can day after day after day, and over time as we grow in the Lord, we can become in our behavior, in our lifestyle, more and more holy. We can abound more and more, and that is what we are being called to. It's interesting, this isn't the only time that Paul gives this kind of exhortation to these Christians. Back in in chapter 3 and verse 12, just a few verses earlier, he says, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all. Abound, increase. You can look ahead over to chapter 4 and verse 10 where he says, And indeed you do toward, uh, toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. You know what's interesting is that as Paul is writing this instruction to this church, he's writing to a good church. Okay, he's not, writing, he's not writing to the Corinthian church that had so many problems that needed to be fixed. Oh, you know, you look at the Corinthian church, well, of course they needed to clean up their act. Of course things needed to change in that church. He is talking to a church that he has had nothing but good things to say about. This church is a delight to him. This church listened and they heeded and, 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 and they believed and, and they obeyed and they followed. They're following his example. They are, having, they are having an oversized impact in their city. They are having an oversized impact in that whole region there uh, in Greece where, where, where this city was. I mean, it, this, the, the sound of the gospel is going out and this church is known for their testimony, for their witness for Christ. Okay? This is a good church. And Paul has the audacity to say to them, more, more. There's more to do. There's more to give. There's more that God wants to accomplish through you. Now, in the ears of some, that might sound discouraging. It might sound discouraging, and I can understand but here's the thing, as, as you hear those words of Paul uh, to these Christians, don't hear in your mind the voice of a demanding father who can never be pleased. That, that's not Paul here. You know, there, there, there certainly can be situations where, where, where maybe a child... <laughs> Has, has a parent or a father, and, and no matter how well the child does, it's never good enough. And maybe you've had people in your life that, that they, they were just the constant critic. And, and so no matter what you did, it was never good enough. And no matter if you improved, well, they would point out how you could have done it better. There are people like that. And you've probably had people like that in your life. It could be the dad who's, who's always dissatisfied with the efforts of the child, you know, for whom the child never measures up, for whom the child just always falls short. And, and in that case, certainly, 
in time you give up because no effort's good enough. Why try? To hear Paul's exhortation that way is to hear it incorrectly. He's not, a, he's not an angry parent saying, come on, get your act together. Can't you ever do this thing right? That's not, that's not Paul. Rather, I would, I would encourage you to hear Paul's words really as more of that of a coach. A good coach. My mind goes back a lot of years ago. So let me give you, let me, let me give you, let me give you here in Cleveland some good sports news. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Now, we have to go back like 38 years, <laughs> and then we're not going to go to Cleveland. Uh, perhaps 38 years ago, you, you remember um, what this picture represents. Um, this picture represents what Sports Illustrated has called the greatest moment in sports history. So for all you youngsters, you know, there it is. I remember when it happened. Uh, this, this cover on, on Sports Illustrated was voted the most iconic cover in the magazine's history. It's called The Miracle on Ice. It was made into a movie, but, but it, it actually was a real thing that happened, okay? And you have to go back to a hockey game at the 1980 Winter Olympics in Lake Placid, New York. And uh, that, 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 that statement, the miracle of ice, comes from, from Al Michaels, who counted down the last seconds of that game and ended, do you believe in miracles? Yes! As the United States hockey team defeated uh, the hockey team of the, so- of, of the then Soviet Union. Now, here's what made it so amazing. Just two weeks, this was just two weeks after getting crushed by the Soviet team. This same U.S. US hockey team, two weeks before, had been crushed by this same Soviet Union team, 10 to 3. And it was, I mean, it was just like the Soviet team just dominated from beginning to end. And yet just two weeks after that, the U.S. Olympic team came back from a 3-2 deficit to defeat the defending Olympic champions 4-3. And that victory paved the way for the Americans to then take the gold medal after defeating Finland in the gold medal round. And and, and listen, the, the Soviets had won five of the last six Olympic gold medals. Okay, we're talking total domination. They had, they had defeated the National Hockey League All-Stars six to nothing a year earlier. So I, I, I know we, we knew that the odds were stacked against our team this past week, and we were all hoping for a miracle, because that was what it was going to take. Because it does happen sometimes. It happened, it happened in this story. The, US, the USA team was the youngest team in that Olympic tournament. And, and this win really was like this. this. This win amounted to a bunch of college guys beating a team that had crushed the NHL, the, the NHL All-Stars. That's what, made, that's what made this win so stunning. How did they pull this thing off? Coach Herb Brooks. I realized that the, the, the players had to go out and win the game. Yeah, 
And, and Herb Brooks didn't put his, his skates on. He wasn't out there playing the game. He, he, hand-picked, he hand-picked the team. He named several from, uh, from his University of Minnesota uh, players team, as well as he took several from a rival from Boston University. So he brought rivals onto this team, but he hand-picked them. And then he specifically developed a style. I mean, he'd observed, he, he, had, he had seen, he, he'd observed. So he, he developed a style of playing which emphasized creativity. It, it, it emphasized teamwork. He stressed peak conditioning. He pushed them to their limits. He pushed them to the brink of any one of them quitting. He conditioned them rigorously in those practices. He was known for his sayings. They called him Brooksisms. And some of them were uh, a little praiseworthy, many of them rather caustic. At one point, he, he said to them, in anticipation of the game, he said, gentlemen, you don't have enough talent to win on talent alone. End of quote. One of the players said that Brooks did not assemble a dream team, but he assembled a team of the dream. And they realized it. He conditioned them to keep up. He inspired them with the audacious idea that they could beat the unbeatable Soviet team. And before hitting the ice against that superior Soviet dream team, on that memorable night, he gave a pep talk, which I would paraphrase this way. You have a great opportunity before you tonight, guys. It's in you to go out there and win this game. So go win it. When Paul exhorts, you should abound more and more. Hear him like that kind of a coach. Hear him like that kind of a coach. It is in you to abound more and more. It is in you to grow, to thrive. It is in you to, have, to demonstrate more grace. It is in you. It is in you to do more for the glory and praise of God. It's in you, so go out and do it. How do we know it's, it's in us? Well, Paul wrote this to, to another group of, of believers, Colossians 1.29. And in Colossians 1.29, he says, To this end, I, and that's Paul, I also labor, striving. So there's Paul who is laboring, who is striving according to his working. It's God, which works in me mightily. Do you see the correlation? Paul's striving here equals God's working. Paul's labor equals God's working, which works in him mightily. Every believer has God's powerful presence within. Every true believer has the Holy Spirit of God within them. What more do we need? What more could we get? What could you add to that? That's what's in you if you're saved. And that's the, that's the very reason why we can abound more and more. 
It's not, it's not, you know, it's not just driving a whip over us, trying to drag something out of us that's not there. It's trying to call forth from within us what is already there. The moment any of us thinks we're good enough, have done enough, have grown enough, is not in need for more and more, we reveal that we don't get it. This USA team, they, they learned the skills. They listened to their coach. They trained to the max. But for them, it wasn't until they got out on that ice and they got up and they got into that game in the face of that formidable opponent. It was then that the will to win came out. That was what drew out of them what, what otherwise would have never been drawn out of them. In our lives, we give up too quickly. We avoid the very things that can cause us to abound more and more. We would rather play the easy team. We would rather do the thing that gives us the sure success. We, we avoid the things where we think there's, there's, there's no way, not realizing that in that very situation where in our minds there's no way, it's in that very situation that God will pull out of us what we never imagined was in us. We avoid people so we don't have to love more. We run from hurt so we don't have to forgive more. We avoid new challenges and new opportunities and we're content to stay where it's safe, where it's comfortable, where we feel confident. We sit on the bench instead of getting out on the ice. We avoid the tough schedule. Consequently, we don't abound. We don't grow. We don't advance. Do you know who is in you, child of God? Do you know who is in you? The Holy Spirit. And he works in us mightily. He is why it is absolutely reasonable for God to call us to more. See, God will not require of you what he will not supply for you. He is not going to put a, a, a command, a demand, an expectation upon us that we must do and, and not provide what we need to do it. Starting with salvation. He is why you can forgive that person you think you can't forgive. He is why you can grow bolder in your witness. He is why you can step into that new opportunity and take on that new challenge. He is why you can accept that responsibility that you're afraid of accepting. He is why you've got strength in the struggle. He is why you can move from follower to leader. So how do we tap into that? Well, I suppose we could write up an endless list, but let me just give you three things that I think we see in the Thessalonian believers. How, how, do we tap into, how do we tap into this, this resource within? Well, 
First of all, back, go back to go back in First Thessalonians. Just go back to chapter two. Okay, go, let's go back to chapter two and verses thirteen and fourteen. There's several places we go. Just thirteen and fourteen. Paul says, for this reason also we thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe, for you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. Elsewhere he mentions being imitators. Let me just give you three things. If we want to tap into this incredible resource, first thing you need to do is just listen. Listen. Learn. Sometimes we don't tap into what's in us because we don't even know what's in us. We don't know who's in us. And so listen and, and learn. Paul says, you heard from us. They, they learned as Paul gave them God's word. They, 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 they hung on his every word. They were, they were tuning in and coming to, to understand. So, so, so listen. And, and then second, Believe. He said, you heard the word, you, you, you received the word. They, they received God's word, he said, as from God himself. They, they believed it. They, they trusted what God's word said to be true. And, and whether or not it made sense in their own mind, whether or not they felt it, they said, this is true. They believed it, which led to the third thing, which is to obey. They became imitators. They're, they're doing this. So, so, so listen, if you, if you want to learn to, 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 to draw upon the power that, it, that is within us through the Holy Spirit, listen and learn. We, we need to learn who he is. We need to learn what we have within us. We need to learn what it is that, what is it that gets in the way. What is it that holds him back? Learn and believe. A lot of stuff we, we know up here, I'm not sure how much we believe it. And obey. These Thessalonian believers, they got into the game. <laughs> they laced up their skates and they got out on the ice. Coach Brooks told his team that night, great moments are born from great opportunities. The darkness of our time is presenting us with great opportunities. I know it's, it, it sounds and sometimes our response is one of great dread. Great opportunities. It's been said, the darker the night, the brighter the light shines. So we need to go out there and we need to grab hold of those opportunities. They're here. They're here. They're now. They're now. They're not in the past. They're now. God says, you've got more in you. And the reason he says that is because he says this. I know that because I put it in you. I gave you my spirit. Coach Brooks knew his players didn't have enough talent to defeat the Soviets. We don't, we don't have the talent or the smarts to drive back the darkness of our age. We don't. So Coach Brooks dug for something deeper in his players, and he gave them a dream. We have something more than that. We have someone inside of us who has the power to dispel the darkness. So abound more and more in your walk to please God. That's the voice of the coach saying, you've got more to give, brothers and sisters. It's in you to face the darkness. Whatever that darkness may be in your life, it's in you to face the darkness. 
It's in you to step out with the gospel of forgiveness and life through the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is in us to take this message to our community. It is in us to take this message to the world. It is in us to be the church that God has redeemed us to be. It is in us to do that because we have the Spirit of God. And so let's step up. By your grace, Father, may this be true. This, this is not a, not a rebuke of bad behavior. It is an exhortation to draw deeply and fully upon who you have given us, the presence of your spirit. You have given us your grace. You have poured out your love upon us. You have given us your spirit. Oh God, you you have given us everything we need for life and godliness. You have given us all that we need to carry out the mission that you've given to us in this world. You have given us what we need, Lord, to handle the obstacles that come our way. You have given us what we need to overcome temptation and say no. You have given us what we need to seek reconciliation. You have given us what we need, Lord, to do what is right in your sight. It's there. So reveal to us, Father, what it is that's holding it back. Maybe it's because we don't understand. Maybe it's because we don't believe. Maybe it's because we disobey. But let us come to you, Father, and humble ourselves at the foot of the cross. And remember again all you've given us through our Savior Jesus Christ. So that we can be in this dark world light and hope, love that points to Christ. Help us, Lord. Look deep within us. May we respond to you. May we set things right. May we renew our love for you, our devotion to you. For the one here, Father, who's never trusted Christ as Savior, Lord, all of this sounds like more religious talk and, and, and more zealous religion. And Lord, it, it, it's, it's, it is, it's the life of, Christ, indwelling Spirit of God who's in us. That's what we want released, and that's what is available. There is forgiveness, sin. There is eternal life. There's hope, there's strength, incredible strength. It's not us, it's you. So, Father, whatever it is that holds us back from trusting Christ as Savior, whatever it is that holds us back from surrendering, whatever, whatever even as soon as we leave this place, whatever it is that's going to begin to encroach and distract us again and, and keep us in our old ways, God, hold them back. That we might do business with you. That we might be saved, sanctified people for the glory of our Savior, who is the reason for it all. We ask in his name. Amen. As we sing our...